You're gonna have to send me the song. I'll send you the playlist. It's it's hard to find the exact song because it says it on the screen when it's happening, but they come up randomly. Like it's hard to find them afterwards again. They you all heard of Primal Scream? Yes, I feel like I have. Who is? Who do you cool. say? It's like a Scottish brand, Scottish band from the nineties. Uh, Primal Scream. Pretty gnarly. I, I've been listening to this uh, podcast called The Blues Kitchen, hmm. and. They have a bunch of cool music on there. It's not just like old timey blue stuff. It's like right. new guitar rock and stuff, and it's yeah. really, really cool. A lot of good stuff. It's like two British guys. I think British people like blues music because <laughs> they, because they like don't. I don't. It's like they don't understand it or something. They don't, <laughs> <laughs> like Eric, Eric Clapton. That's how Eric Clapton. He's British, and that's how he got into music was you just heard blues music and that's what he like in the yardbirds they're trying to play blues rock and right. uh, like like southern american muddy waters howling wolf like those are his heroes it's like what in the oh. world do you have to do <laughs> having common or <laughs> to do with howling wolf it's <laughs> funny there's a lot of like blues like i mean the rolling stones play blues it's right. crazy you really think about like what blues music is it's it's all over rock and roll that's where yeah. it came, that's, came from that's zeppelin that's everybody just doing blues songs but yeah pick it up a little. like the white stripes i didn't realize how like bluesy the white stripes were mm-hmm. uh, that hard guitar riff kind of like you know Jack white for sure looks like a dude who owns a lot of blues records it's so great yeah well he has that like he, he really uh, idolized sun house and um if you listen to some sun house songs like his old Southern blues guy, really cool. Mm. Robert Johnson, at the Crossroads, yeah. and stuff. Crossroads. Oh man, start yeah. talking about that. Soul is soul for rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> soul is soul to the devil at the Crossroads. <laughs> what I always love about that too is that he died at like twenty-seven, and when you see his picture, he looks fifty-eight. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a different time, I guess. Hard living back then, man. <laughs> he was there, a were, thousand. there were no teenager. You were a kid, and then you were an adult. <laughs> you were a man at twelve. You went from school just to learn how to speak and read a little bit, maybe, and then you went to the the steel factory. <laughs> what a horrible time to be alive! <laughs> I was watching this movie called The Highwaymen on uh, Netflix with uh, Kevin Costner and Woody Harrelson. It's the it's it's about the guys who killed Bonnie and Clyde. It's a true story. Okay. And, it's really good movie, really cool, kind of long, but but really good. But they're like retired Texas Rangers, and they go and they're going it because it's like 1930, like middle of the 1930s, and they're like right. in their 60s, so they're like cowboys, you know. And then kind of dusted off out of retirement, just Texas Ranger. They like decommissioned the Texas Rangers, and then they just couldn't catch Bonnie and Clyde. And they're kind of thinking like, you know, back in the day, we just hire some man killers to go kill these people. <laughs> You know, they're like, yeah, let's do that. Let's get these cowboys because that's all they did. They didn't take you prisoner. They were trying to arrest you. They found you and they kill you. And so that's what they hired these guys to do. And they did. <laughs> hey, man, like, if, have you seen like the real pictures of Bonnie and Clyde's car? Oh, like, like they're, they're, they, they got up. shot up. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, that's when machine guns were like first invented. And they just lit them up. It's insane. Like, what a weird funny. time for law enforcement. <laughs> they just like <laughs> lit them up. Have you seen the old one from the '60s with like Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway? No. The, the Bonnie Clyde movie. Man, 
that movie, I saw that when I was probably too young to see it. And <laughs> it's it's not very violent. And a lot of movies back in the 60s weren't really that crazy. And this is one of the first ones. It's kind of controversial for me how violent it was. But at the very end, it shows it, man. They just like light them up, just like, pop, 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 and they're just like, <laughs> like, it's, like, it's insane. Like stuff you'd see in the 90s you know, killer movie, <laughs> Death Wish or something. <laughs> it's really, it's really not for the sixties, for the sixties. That was insane. And for me as a little kid watching that, I was like, Holy crap. <laughs> like, and, and they, they did that in this movie too, but man, it was really cool. It was cool too. Cause they're like cowboys and have, so they have like these six shooters and they're like, can't really shoot as well <laughs> as they used to. <laughs> and uh, they're like, keep missing this sign, you know? And then they realize, hey, they're not shooting with pistols. Like we probably shouldn't either. There's these new Tommy guns made, <laughs> machine guns, and so they do those, and they just can't miss. Just, God, just like... <laughs> the whole time in America was just nuts. That like oh, transition God. from the old west to modern times is just yeah. insane. Yeah, that's crazy. I remember I saw the when I was too, I didn't see it too young, but I caught a glimpse of it too young. Was Pulp Fiction, like when a <laughs> When it won the Oscar, my parents were like, oh, let's watch this movie and see if it's any good. And I just happened to be passing through the room during the adrenaline heart scene. That was like 94, bro. So you yeah, I know. Like I was seven. like six or seven, yeah. <laughs> and I was just passing through. Like I went to the kitchen to get something to drink, and I saw him just jam that needle into her heart, and oh. it ruined me forever. It was awful. Yeah, that'll, cha- that'll change you. <laughs> and it did. That's where I am now. <laughs> There's an alternate world where that never happened, and I graduated college. And I did the I did a uh, film criticism. Uh, I had a film criticism class in high school. We had to pick a scene from a movie, and I picked that one uh, to like to like break down and, and and everything. I love that scene how Travolta like messes up his lines, but it kind of fits because he's nervous in the scene anyway. Oh, it's so good. That's yeah, really great. <laughs> Are you calling on a cell phone? Uh, I don't know who this is. Prank caller. Prank caller. Wrong number. <laughs> so good. Oh, man. All right. <laughs> Off of movies, onto the subject. Uh, thanks, everyone, thanks, everyone, for jumping in. We're talking sanctification. Uh, we already got a comment. Uh, we're talking about sanctification today and what it is kind of our disagreements on it, our agreements on it, where we're coming from on it. Uh, Sanctification seems to be one of the big missing points or sticking points between a lot of conversations we have with people who don't quite agree with us on a lot of stuff. Like it's a lost concept or a missing concept or a misunderstood concept. And uh, like, it's one of those things that you always hear about in church, but I guess you never really, (laughs) my first time I remember hearing someone telling a sermon about sanctification uh, it was this, this youth conference thing I went to with a girlfriend that I had that went to a different church. And the pastor started talking. And he was like, you know, just because you're saved doesn't mean you're being sanctified. And I was like, OK, I can see where you're coming from on that. Mm-hmm. Me being like 17, 18. And, uh, and then he starts going into like, if you if you're bo- if you boys have that long hair and earrings that you're not sanctified. And I was like, I think you lost me. <laughs> I guess I can't. Oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, that was rough. So what's like, what's your memories of, of hearing sanctification and kind of what you concept, conceptualize it as when you were coming into this? I don't feel like I, it was even on my radar. Yeah, you, okay. So yeah. That, let me ask, because you came from Torah Observance. How, how do they view sanctification? That's they all view you have. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't feel like I don't feel like it was on my radar at all. I think that was one of the big things that helped bring me out of being Torah observant was realizing what sanctification was and what God's doing to His people. Um, yeah, because I feel like sanctification to a lot of people is well, just don't sin and try to be you know try to be as holy as He is, try to obey. That's sanctification. Work your way to be like Christ. I think work your way to be like Christ is such a strange concept. Right. So weird. Yeah. Well, I mean, that is kind of what it is, right? I mean, we, you know, we can't, we can't say be afraid of the word works. Right. We can't be afraid (laughs) of the word of these terms of like, you know, be better, become righteous, you Mm -hmm. know, be holy, and we can't be afraid of that terminology. We talked about this before because the Bible uses that terminology as far as like choose and um be righteous and, and choose right and do all these things like response responsibility language like human responsibility right. language and we can't right. be afraid of, of terminology like that because it it is it is true um i would say you know it's, it, we we tend to kind of like bristle at that because we so we understand god's sovereignty like from the, what the biblical, what the Bible says about God's sovereignty is that He's in control of everything. He declares the in, ends from the beginning. You know, uh, He makes our spirit alive. We don't, we don't offer anything. We're, we're, we're monergists, right? We're not synergists. Right. We, it is only God, not us and God, right? So we're, we kind of afraid to like, well, I can't do nothing. I'm, I'm totally depraved, and you know, like everything. And it's like, yeah, it's true. But once you're regenerated, you have the ability now to. And so I think with Calvinism and this like sovereign God doctrine, we understand, I think we actually, that provides a clearer understanding of sanctification and mm-hmm. work and uh, the re- human responsibility and God's sovereignty and all that. I think we have a clearer understand, more biblical understanding of those things because the, you know, the, the, the other world view of that is you can always just be doing, doing right, doing right. good works. And like a, we don't believe that. So, yeah, like you're saying, there is a tendency in, in reform thought to bristle at any kind of thought of action, right? And I, I think that's where the misconception does come from when you talk about robots. Like there is often when you talk to people who are anti-Calvinists, I was like, oh, well, you just believe we're robots. Like, well, as no. soon as somebody says robots, I'm, I, I know you don't know what you're talking about. Like right. you, you haven't spoken with the Calvinists. Un- they just don't understand. Right. Yeah, you, you're, you're, you've not had a real conversation with a Calvinist or with a, you know, sovereign god doctrine person right um is a robot yeah it's such a straw man (laughs) what it actually is is we we believe that through the the act of god we're given the ability to then do good apart from god's intervention we could not do good like yeah the the default is to hate things of god yeah i think there's a verse that and i can't remember where it's at maybe someone watching can help me but it talks about how the spirit is set opposed to the flesh to help you to help keep you from doing the things you want to do. So now instead of just continually choosing the flesh, you now have the ability to choose the spirit, which is. Yeah. It's different between. Stewarding you almost. Yeah. It's the difference between sinning and being a slave to sin. Mm. Right. It doesn't own you anymore. You're still going to put the shackles back on yourself, but you're not really a slave. You're not. Right. It's not your identity. And yeah. that's a big part of this too. Is like you have your identity in Christ, not in your sin anymore. Right. That's the it's the prodigal yeah. son idea. Like when he was in the pigsty, he didn't have to be there. 
Right? And he realized exactly. he didn't have to be there, but yes. he was there. Yes. And that, and that, and I remember we were having a conversation having one time with somebody and they were talking about the prodigal son and I was, I was saying, you know, he was always the son because they'll point to Israel and they fell away and they had to come back and they fell away and had to come back. And what people don't realize that they never stopped being God's people. They might've been in exile. They might've been in punishment. They might've been under plagues and wrath or whatever, but they were still God's people. They're God's chosen people. Right. And actually that's why they were being disciplined that way. Right. right. I don't discipline some other kid. I discipline my kid. Right. Because he's my son. And it's, it's, yeah, it'll never stop being my son. It says the prodigal son. He was always, he always had a father at home to come home to. He always could have like gone back. And that was always the case. And that can't ever be separated. That's how we are with God. Right. We're literally, not literally, but we are his children adopted right. through Christ. And that's, I mean, that's the verse that, you know, the God punishes those who he delights in as the father or the son who he delights in. Like part of the sanctification process, since we're talking about sanctification, is that disciplining, that yeah. whipping you into shape, if you will, right? Um, right. So maybe try to kind of define sanctification. Like what, where, what at its base is sanctification? Like how do we understand what it is? I would say it is the process of becoming more holy, more becoming more like Christ. There's a process of of more killing sin, mm. putting to death sin, and becoming more righteous, more holy. And this is an ongoing, lifelong process that won't stop until we die. There's no finishing our like we're gonna fulfill our own righteousness. No, we're gonna become more like Christ till we die. And then we are in glory with Christ. But yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, there's that There's that verse that says, um, if you can give good gifts to your children, how much more of the spirit do you think God can give you? So I think it's definitely something that releases us from that bondage of sin. And oh, that little freeze. Oh, oh in the matrix. <laughs> I'll get her back. Matrix okay. is glitching. Alternate way and conforms us to the image of his son. Am I back? Yeah, you're back now. I'm back now. <laughs> missed, missed all that. Oh, great, great, great. Go ahead and start over. Re reiterate that thought. Yeah, okay. So um, you missed all of it, the whole thing? Pretty much the whole thing. Okay. Yeah. I was just agreeing with you saying that it is um, God giving us more and more of the spirit to enable us to hate the sin that he hates, um, flee from the flesh. We're released release from sin, conforming us to the image of his son. I like Romans 622 when it says, but now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The mm. fruit you get leads to sanctification and it's ends eternal life. So you being sanctified is kind of, you remember Julian when you and I had that conversation and you were saying like, Jesus is always interceding for us. It's right. kind of, um, you know, that balance of con continually sanctifying us and changing us until ultimate glorification to become as holy as he. Right. Because so, yeah, uh, there's that aspect of it uh, all ongoing. It, it's, um, that's what's difficult to wrap that's your head around. You have and then lose, have and then lose, right. have and then lose. Like I remember being in a conversation and someone said, you know, you're, you're saved and then uh, you sin and your sanctification drops. 
and your salvation drops and then you have to repent again and then become safe, you know, and it's like, no, that's not, that's not it. Well, I mean, and the, the, one of the things about sanctification is the, the more the process goes on, the more you're aware of your sin and the, the need to repent continually. Uh, right. that's, that's kind of a weird thing about sanctification is that the more it goes on, the more you're aware of how sinful you are, not necessarily that you're sinning more, but that you're more aware of like things that maybe before you wouldn't have seen as what they were right before it was like, right. oh, maybe I have a bad habit. I don't, you know, but then it becomes like, oh, I'm actually in sin. Right. And it becomes like a weird, oh, uh, kind of a weird, the better, I don't know, the better, the more sanctified you are, the more like a sinner you feel, which is, it's a weird thing yeah. that's happening. Yeah. Sometimes. The law, the law yeah. means something to you now, and it's a mirror right. to show you that you are a sinner in need of a savior, and that's right. Christ, and you can't do yeah. it yourself. And it's also, I think, like conviction of like whenever someone can go out and get plastered every single night and have no conviction whatsoever, right. but take a Christian who get mixed up with a with a bad group of people, and they're going out every night and getting drunk every night, and they're doing the actions, but at the same time, they're having the spiritual warfare, feeling incredibly right. convicted that someone else isn't or I I love music festivals. Loved them. Um, I was crazy, crazy, crazy kid. I loved acid, but I feel like through <laughs> sanctification, I did. I did. My flesh loved it. I, but through sanctification, I was like, okay, yeah, this is, this is not, a God. This, is not, this is not what I need to be doing. So I knew that I didn't need to go to festivals. I knew I didn't need to be around those things because I could get weak and my flesh could be weak and do those things that were not honoring mm. to him. That's an interesting thing that Matt Chandler, I, I watched a sermon from Chandler on sanctification and he talked about that too, how there are things that are not necessarily in and of themselves sinful, but your personal sanctification may involve getting rid of those things because you, they stir up the flesh in you. So like right. something like that, where I could say I could go to a music festival and I don't necessarily love acid. So it's not a big deal for me, but right. something that's benign to me, to you is a, a serious burden that has to be cut off. And that's part of the wisdom of that. Like, and right. you have, and, and you have your music festival. You have your right. version of a music festival, right? right? Exactly. We we have our own thing. Right. Everybody does. Which right. <laughs> that's baffling when you do run into like a sinless perfectionist person who thinks like, well, I, don't, I just don't have any problems. Like, well, and that's what it comes down to with the rich young ruler, right? Like, what must right. I do? He's like, oh, do this, this. Oh, I've done all these. Okay, sell all your possessions. He, he, that that's not the key to to salvation is selling all your possessions. He right. knew he couldn't do that. And that, that right. was his idol. That was his music festival kind of thing. So like that, you're right. right. You, you know, and that's, that's what needs to be changed. And it's conquering sin like that is what sanctification is. Right. That's the, the John Owen, uh, be killing sin or it'll be killing you. Like that continual putting to death of sin, which is a struggle. It's one of those things that every time you think you've got past it, it like creeps up on you when you're not expecting it. Yep. And it can yeah. be like the smallest thing that, you, you know, it's always personally for me, it's always like a taste. It's always a hint. It's like, well, I'm not going to do the thing. I just want to see what's going on. And then it's like, Oh, that was cool. And then it's a little more and a little, more. it's just, it's always trying to pull you back in. Like it's always, yeah. and it's like, I'm doing the thing. Crap. Right. <laughs> and then you feel like crap and you got to hide for a week. And that's, what's funny to me about kind of the sanctification process too, is kind of the knowledge of, uh, of your justification <laughs> through your sanctification. So like, you, oftentimes what we try to do when we sin is rather than go to God for forgiveness. Like we should, we try to clean ourselves up first and then go to God. Like I got to fix myself yeah. before I can go back to him. Whereas, you know, the yeah. sanctification process is like, no, just go get forgiven. 
That's what you're supposed mm-hmm. to do. That's that's the point of all of this. Yeah, that that show, that's what that's where you need to be. It's like, well, let me get a little healthy first before right. I go to the doctor. It's like, no, yeah, that's when you need to go to the doctor is when you're right. sick, and that's what it is. Right. Yeah, I remember a long time ago, like be, I was at a church and, um, you know, it was like college and stupid, and um, there, there's, uh, you know, in some sin that people like knew about. And it wasn't, it was, it was like hit more like a hot out of hypocrisy and just like inconsistency right. with myself and uh, just, and just being like, how can I go? Like just feeling guilty of like, how can I go to church and, and see these people that know what I've done and smile and pray and mm. like sing and be a leader, you know? And it's like, how, what I, you know, I like, I lost some holiness. I'm not worthy to go there right. anymore. And I've never talked about the friend and they're like, well, like you ever were, like you lost some greatness, like, you know, worthiness of yourself, some holy, uh, like, what? no, this is just a reminder that you are a sinner in need of a savior, that that's what you are. And uh, yeah, like you lost some special holiness about you. It's like, no, that's sanctification, seeing that and growing in that holiness, right? Right. So. Yeah, because there's people in church who never, you know, the, the sad reality is that the people who are in church who have never been justified, and because yeah. they've never been justified, they're never being sanctified. So yeah, they don't yeah, they try to start this path of sanctification and like not cussing and right. not sleeping with a girlfriend or whatever, and it's like that's good, but you're <laughs> you're not you've not been saved. You, your heart has not been regenerated. You know, and that's that's going to cause problems with sanctification is from even just how you start to look at it, because then it is just this. I'm just going to earn my way in. Right. And that's not like that. Is, you're always that's not what it is. Sanctification is not just to that's, that's that's we probably should touch on that. Like that was the first comment. Mark, right. said, uh, we guys touched on the problem of separating justification and sanctification. I feel like anytime we talk about you can't talk about one without the other because right. there's such confusion between to and Abby, it sounds like that's kind of the Torah observant uh, mindset. Is is sanctification is your justification? That is your you got to be good enough, you know, if you do your part, right. and then you're justified, you know. And right. that's not, yeah, it's not how it works. So when you were when you were actually in, because that's. <sighs> An, an interesting thing about old Israel is that like the Pharisees kept the law and they weren't justified, right? Like the, the whole thing was if to see the kingdom of heaven, your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, like the ultimate law keepers, you had to be more holy than them. And that's because right. your holiness doesn't come from keeping the law. It comes from the person of Jesus Christ. That's where your holiness lies. H- how did, how did Torah observance understand the, that role? Like did, in other it words, was- did you ever see like, well, your holiness is in Christ or was it not ever quite there? I almost feel like, I almost feel like many think of sanctification as, okay, you know, the verse in Ezekiel when it talks about, um, I'm going to make a new covenant. I'm going to write my law on their hearts. I'm going to cause them to obey my statutes and commands. So it's almost like they believe that the Holy spirit is sanctifying them to conform to the law. Mm. Does that make sense? Yes. And he's writing it on their hearts. He's he's, he's um, causing them to obey his rules and the statutes. So their sanctification is the Holy Spirit working on them 
to want to obey Torah. Right. Okay. And we talked about it a little bit. See, and I, I, I would say that that's I would say that that's correct, but that has nothing to do with your justification or your salvation. Mm -hmm. Right. I would say that that like that, I think that is correct. It is changing our hearts to want to follow God and obey and, and follow his law and his ways and, and what he says. But that that doesn't save you. I think that's the disconnect. Right. It's like that's correct. Your heart is being changed and you want to follow Christ and follow the law is being changed towards the law. But that that doesn't save you. We're not saved by the law. Right. Right. I think so, that's the difference. So this the distinction, justification, sanctification justification is a thing that happens in an instant through the action of Christ, right? Nothing, nothing in you, you have not done anything to justify yourself. You can't justify yourself. There, there's no action yeah. you can take. It's all in Christ. It's a, it's a legal term. It's a, you're declared right. justified. Mm -hmm. You're not actually righteous. You're not actually holy like Christ, but you have been declared mm -hmm. righteous, Right. Like if someone cancels your debt, you didn't pay the debt. Right. You can't pay the debt, but your debt's cleared. You know, someone else has right. paid it, and that's being so. It's, it's the great exchange of, of Jesus' righteousness being imputed to us right. as, as our justification, and our sin being put on Him, right, for the condemnation. So we're no longer under condemnation, and we have been just we've been declared justified. And mm. it's not that that's important to to point out is that. It's it's a legal status. It's not um, our sanctification plays that out, and that's what grows. Our justification doesn't grow. Can right. grow more justified. We are declared stamp justified, and, and sanctification kind of, has also become more holy. That's kind of the problem with that people have with that idea of like the justification fully in Christ is that when you say that, like what you're saying is true. At that moment, your, your your sin is taken from you, put on Christ, and his righteousness is imputed to you. His righteousness is your righteousness. The problem people have at that point is like, oh, so you can just do whatever you want. That's yeah. where like the, the hang-up often comes in, from what I've right. if you're yeah. If you're actually justified, you won't. You, well, it's you, not even you, that. Your, your desires will change. Yes, right. that's true. You'll do what you want, but your desires will be changing to want to please God. You, God you won't have, if you've actually been regenerated and changed and justified and you're saved under, under God's grace, your desires will change. So yes, you will do what you want, but you will want to do other things. And, and But there is the flesh. There is that we, we are still sinning, but we are still regenerated. We didn't lose that that declared because it's not the justification to come from us. We can't lose it. We can't cause it to be lost. Right? So that's the thing. You can't, can't lose what you didn't earn. So Right. And yeah. it's almost... And I think a lot of that comes from, I, I didn't, I don't think I really understood that a holy God cannot be in communion with the sinful people. Mm. So the veil tearing, us being declared righteous, us being covered by the blood and our sins being forgiven. Oh, there we go. Gotta get that internet. Really cut in. Abby, you're <laughs> off. You're going to have to restate everything after you <laughs> so, move out of Move out of Amarillo. <laughs> <laughs> the Wi-Fi is not great on the homestead. The Wi-Fi. Don't like God, candle. because we can edit it. Mm, <laughs> there yeah. we go. <laughs> we got it. Hi. Right. Hi. 
Right. Every time. <laughs> right when you're on a roll. That's my favorite part is that you're getting your Every single time. God. Uh, after the veil tour, go from there. <laughs> you got to figure that, you gotta figure that Wi-Fi out. You got to figure that Wi-Fi out, Abby. Yeah. My mom's very back room, so lesson learned. Don't come back here again. Um, you got to get the cable. Okay. That's what I get. So, yeah, I need to get the uh, long Ethernet cable like you did, Julian. Okay, so what I was saying is, so we had to be justified, declared righteous, so that we could have communion with God, although Jesus and the Spirit are continually sanctifying us to become as holy as Christ. So the the whole fact that we had to be looked at as perfected and our sins had to be dealt with and taken care of is a whole different issue than removing the sin from our lives. Does that make sense? What yes. I just said at all? Yeah. And I, there's an important distinction, and I know this is a little off topic, but it's an important distinction to make between the idea of perseverance and justification and once saved always saved like once saved always right. saved is a real nice like slogan it just sounds good but it, right. it kind of makes it sound cheap it makes it sound like oh yeah you can do whatever you want you're always saved it's, Got it's to now, punch. You're good to go. right it doesn't touch on the fact of god changing your affections to want what he wants like that's why somebody like david could say that he delighted in the law of god because he was justified and his affections were being changed that's that's why a thing like that could happen Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. No, go ahead. Uh, so, yeah, like in Romans uh, chapter 326 says, it was to show his righteousness at the present times so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So, like, that that's important to understand, too, is that the wrath had to be satisfied. And it was. It was satisfied in Jesus. And because of that, he can also be the justifier of the ungodly. Like, I know we understand that and we talk about that, but I don't think we really dig into like the, the miraculousness of that, that yeah. we weren't just saved to God. We were saved from God. God saved us from his own wrath that had to be satisfied. And he did that by satisfying it on Christ. You know, it, yeah. it's, just, I don't know. It's right. an overlooked kind of but, big idea. But I, but I feel like, and this kind of is off topic of sanctification, but I feel like a lot of people say Jesus forgave us for our sins but they don't truly believe that. Mm. You know what I mean? Like we, like Jesus forgives you for your sins. Right. Right. Which our past sins wouldn't have even been present when Jesus died on the cross. Yeah. Well, before you're saved, but like everything from before you're saved, Oh, he'll take care of that before. And then after you're saved, well now, now you got to do your part, right? Right. Now you know better. So you better not mess up or you're going to have to, you know, get saved again yeah yeah <laughs> that was the, the hebrew says he died once for all right but, what was the the meme that was like i thought, I thought it was no it's just kind of huh? again it was uh, the meme that had uh it, it was somebody in a calvinist group said are arminian saved and then somebody commented like several times actually so <laughs> <laughs> it's really the idea we have sometimes we have to keep getting like we remember being at youth camp and yeah, like, one crying camp. Camp. Yep. oh yeah Get that music going and just oh, like been running and sweating all day, and I'm just like <laughs> actually reading my Bible <laughs> for the first full week in a year. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, let's talk about that a little bit because that comes up too. Um, like, part of sanctification is dwelling in God, right? 
dwelling in the word, dwelling in prayer. That's part of the sanctification process is that desire to be there, right? Like to, to want those things, even if you don't necessarily do them all the time, there is a desire to want to be there, but there's also like a, a discipline aspect to that, right? Like it's not enough to just want to read your Bible, like read your you have Bible. to do it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like how many times have we been like, I should really read my Bible right now, mm-hmm. but I'm going to watch this show. You know what I mean? Yep. But, yeah. but that's, but I think that that's a big thing of sanctification too, is <laughs> every time there's so many edit points in this for when it goes up. Not all <laughs> people. Die. I'm done. The most important Am thing I is. <laughs> oh wait, one more. If you, if you, if you, if you hear anything from this, it. <laughs> you remember that in the office yeah, yeah. when uh, Michael calls Jim and he's pretending to cut off with him on the phone. He's like, "All you have to do is, and you'll be saved." And he's like, "Wait, I missed the important part." <laughs> yeah, I remember. You ever watch the show Frasier? Yes. Oh, I love that show. There's one part where he's like standing on some principal, he's a radio, you know, the radio host, and he's like. It's like I would. They the, the producers want me to say this, but I have something to say. He's like, I am not a man who bends easily to his to other people's will, and I will not compromise. You know, he lives this whole in, in like empowered speech, and uh, they're like, yeah, we cut you off like ten seconds in. He's like, what did what did, like, what did you get? And he's like, I have something to say. I am not a man. yeah okay so yeah that that's a good point as far as like the discipline of that of um i think too often we uh discount the checklists and discount the routine Mm. of like the christian of praying and and reading your bible and just kind of getting into those consistent rhythms for your day and stuff. We don't want it to just be like a, a checkbox or like right. a scheduled appointment, you know, uh, pencil it in kind of thing, but you don't pencil it in, it ain't getting done. Like that's, that's the thing. I, I, it's like, well, it has to mean something. Don't just pencil it in or try and make room for it, make time for it or something. It's like, but I think that's okay because there's, there's something to be said of that checklist of that routine. Like, it's like, oh, then you're just reading it just to do it, just to check a box. Yeah, but you're reading it. Your your face is in front of the word, and like it, and yeah, you might not have gotten something from that day, or you might not have been paying attention, but you were there and you were doing it. So those rhythms and in, in routines and checklists, I think, should be in place, and the Holy Spirit will work through that and and will show up in those times. But if you're not making those times, then you know, I think there's just something to be said for a practical scheduled routine sort of checkbox thing because that means it's present. That means you have those rhythms in your life. Like with my kids, I'm reading, I'm, we read our, read the Bible and pray with our kids every night or one in three. It's chaos. A lot of times, like I'm just reading and they're like playing with a piece of fuzz on the ground and not listening and stuff, but I'm reading and I think they don't know what I'm saying. They're not getting any of this. They're not, but, Someday they will. And I want these rhythms to be in place already, you know? So like right. while they're not, you know, like we read the table talk magazine sometime, like I haven't done lately, but we, we, you know, we do that devotional at dinner. We all sit down at dinner as a family together. Again, it's chaos. A lot of times it's just nuts, but they're going to get older. And I want those rhythms and routines to already be in place so that the, the, the meaning and the, and they can kind of catch it 
already it's already there that's like they won't even know any different it'll just always have been there mm. and right. then then when they when when the understanding catches up to the routine then that's that's hopefully when things will kind of click so i think too too often people especially with like raising kids they're thinking well i'm not getting it what's the point this is insane they're not listening they're not whatever and so they don't do it and they don't try it's like well and then when they're seven they try and implement some kind of devotional thing and it's like it's too late now they've gone seven years without doing anything Mm -hmm. like this they don't do what you're talking about they have no they have no category for devotional time with parents they have category for we're gonna read the bible for it's like what are you talking about this is weird it's awkward you're gonna feel that too and it's like well okay i don't want to do it but you know this is about putting those routines in place before part part of the problem with that and not problem i guess problem from that is like we kind of our generation and i guess maybe a little bit before us but ours specifically kind of tended to throw the baby out with the bathwater when we wanted to have like real christianity right like that was part of my experience being a teenager and into college was like i wanted to have a real christianity i didn't want to have this handed down routine yeah. uh quiet Those time christianity cultural, right yeah cultural you wanted to have a real experience and you had you read blue like jazz and that sounded cool and you wanted to have that kind of experience but the yeah, older I, I get, like that. yeah, <laughs> we'll talk about that one day. Uh, but the older I get, the more I like, I think about the times of like, well, the, the memories I have, the earliest memories I have of like learning things about God or sitting in a church van when I was like eight, listening to Salty. Like that stuff didn't go salty. Oh, you know, dude, salty, uh, <laughs> salty evangelized me. Oh, I don't know who Salty is. Oh, he's a singing songbook. Oh, go. Google Salty the Singing Songbook and you'll have nightmares. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it delightful. It's literally this giant book and his face is on the spine and he's a book. And he's like, he's a salter. That's why he's salty. Uh, we were, Gerard was watching Salty for a while and there's one, I, I don't know if you remember this, but there's one Salty where there's a character named Charity Church Mouse who wants to be a famous gospel singer, but she wants to be a famous gospel singer to be famous. And she has like this fever dream nightmare where some rat offers her a contract and then he traps her soul in a cage and stuff. And it's bizarre. It was horrifying. Oh, you have nightmares. Yeah. (laughs) But like, that's what I remember. I remember the little Bible flashcards that had the letter of the alphabet and the verse that starts with it. Like all all that stuff is a little bit cheesy, but like it was a, a a step in my foundation. Right, it's a good, that, that yeah. hasn't left. That stayed with me all yeah. the time. So you're, you're you're gaining you're gaining a um, um, uh, a vernacular in a, right. in a biblical a biblical literacy. Just overall, right. you don't get it, you don't understand it, but you know what the verse is. You know what I mean? Right. I don't know what it means, but I know how to find it. You know, that's so important. These, these aren't foreign concepts to you as you're growing. Like that's the whole in the proverbs. Like you know, instruct your children in the ways of the Lord when they're young, and they'll not depart when they grow old. Like that's true it were it, it's real even if it's not like the most romantic it's not meeting god on the side of a mountain in vermont or some craziness like that living in a hippie commune and finding spirituality there like it's there's an there's an overemphasis on real spiritual real spirituality like yeah emotional i felt god and he moved in my life and you know all of that stuff and yeah i think we i think we have that idea of like wanting to get rid of that uh american gospel type of cultural christianity and we just it's kind of like what you're saying abby about the Torah observant how that's kind of the motivation behind that is to have a real like i want to be real i want to you know observe the sat the the festivals and i want to know the law and do the you know it's like the hardcore 
whatever. And they're, they're missing grace and they're missing right. like real uh, salvation. But, but I, th- I understand that, that, um, that, that feeling of wanting to get away from that culture of Christianity. But at the same time, it's like, I think it's just something we take for granted kind of growing up learning Bible verses and stuff. We just like, we think it's cheesy and stupid, but then some, some new, a new Christian is like, well, I don't like that's, that's <laughs> I want to know those things, you know, and it's, it's important. And we take it for granted. I think a lot, just as biblical literacy and kind of those foundational baby step things or whatever. And but, like the flip side to that, I was talking to some friends this week too. And we we're talking about kind of this kind of stuff. And how it's easy the other side to go the other way too, like in, in the reform community or like the, the really academic intellectual community, it's easy to to read books and understand like I wanna I wanna be able to define the Trinity in a way that's biblically accurate. I wanna be able to explain somebody my systematic theology. It's like that's all good. Like that's good to do. But that also becomes a point of like, I, I want something real and I'm gonna find it in books and I'm gonna study and I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do that. It's like, okay, but have you loved your neighbor today? Yeah. Like, have you, have you, have you actually done anything to actually love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength besides just memorizing doctrine? And, you know, that's kind of a pitfall of like the reformed community too. It falls too far in the academics and not in the real world, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm saying it's like our official theology and our functional theology. Right. You know, which makes our official theology basically worthless if we're not, you know, playing it out and working it out uh, practically and visibly. And that's sanctification. That's, that's what you're saying. Like, it's, that's your sanctification is that, uh, yeah, we know what you believe. We know it's true. But how are you living that out? What are you doing right. about it? And yeah, that, that, a, that level of responsibility and stuff. That and that goes there. even further. Like, if you're not living it out, do you actually believe it? Like, I, yeah. I know you're telling me right. you believe it. And I know you're saying you believe right. these things. But I'm not, I don't see it. Like, if you believe and it, why are you this way? Well, yeah. you know, it's funny. It's the same thing we say to atheist people who say we're molecules right. and they don't live like that. That that what how they actually live, kissing their children goodnight, crying at a symphony, like you're being morally indignant against mass shooting. Like that, that's not consistent with what you say you believe. Mm. And so that is what you actually believe. You know, there's a God. You know, right. we're not just matter in motion. And these things, your your official theology is not actually what you believe. Well, the same can be said for us with how we act what we do right, right. Say we believe these things but then we do this and do that and it's like well you say this but then i see how you live and that's not that's what you believe you know and one of the and here's where you know to bring it back to sanctification one of the arguments that sometimes comes up is like well that's what sanctification is we're not going to be perfect now and we kind of use i'm not saying we like we but there's a, a tendency and i can see where the not we <laughs> I can see where the Torah of would, would have a point and where atheists would have a point when they say Christians are hypocritical, right? Because of what you're talking about. Like we have, we, we say this and then we do this. And, and, right. 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 Like Everybody's hypocritical, but the Everybody. whole, that's where I can understand somebody saying like, well, what, so you think you're safe so you can do whatever you want? Like, well, no, that's not what we think, but sometimes that's how you live, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, and I feel like that's a lot of how the American gospel has presented things. Like you go to church one hour a week on Sunday, you say your prayers every night, and then you're saved and you can look exactly like everybody else who doesn't go to church. And so, yeah, I agree with you. I feel like that's the way even atheists and other people who aren't Christians view Christians. Yeah. I was waiting for you to cut out and it didn't happen. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) That's very true. I mean, and that's, that's what I was, you know, we were talking off camp before we got on, uh, 
when I see guys like RC Sproul talk about, or John MacArthur even talked about sanctification, like the older they got and the deeper they got into their faith where, where we would look at them and be like, Oh, they must have it together at this point. They still think like, I'm so far away from where I even should be. Like the sanctification makes you aware of your own hypocrisy and sinfulness. Right. So it's really interesting to see that older generation who like is, is in the word and deep and has gone through all this stuff still being like, I'm so far from where I need to be. But I mean, that's how the apostles were too. That's what Paul would say. You know, I do what I don't want to and what I want to do, I don't do. And that's the holy apostle, you know, converted by Jesus on the road, still saw himself as a chief of sinners or, you know, the least, you know, it's, it's crazy. So the actual, I guess the practical outworking of of sanctification or the the process of sanctification, uh, we were kind of talking about it off camera too. Like the, to me, it's kind of a twofold thing. It's, it's one, it's like you were talking about mortification, the, the steps that we take where we, you know, we get in the word and we get in prayer and we, we kill sin every day, but it's also the other aspect, which I want to kind of talk about because it's the painful aspect is the pruning aspect. Like the, the action that God takes to strip things away from you and kind of make you aware of what your sin is and take it away or, or yeah, even remind at, you of your dependency on him. Yeah. Look at yeah. what, look at what Christ went through to, be conformed to the image that God wanted to save all of creation. Like he went through so much suffering. So, I mean, I feel like sanctification absolutely involves suffering and pruning and I mean, torture sometimes even yeah. <laughs> like torture, like spiritual torture, conviction. Like, um, I don't know. I think, I think, I think I definitely realized more about what spiritual warfare is about mm. just tr- fighting the flesh, um, knowing that you should choose the spirit, but, sometimes choosing your flesh or that responsibility to respond to sanctification. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of, I think, um, unconscious idolatry that we have, like the things that we wouldn't call idols or maybe we don't even think of as idols, but when they're, when they're taken away, you realize how much they were an idol to you. Right. And mm-hmm. it, like, per, and you know, personally for me, there, there's, there was a point I was, and I was talking about this today where I, w- I was driving with Maggie and she asked me, do you regret this thing? And I said, no, I don't regret this thing. I wish it had gone a little bit different, but if if that hadn't happened, then this wouldn't happen and this wouldn't have happened. So I wouldn't be here where I am now, right? And so the painful thing, like I, I, I wish I hadn't had to go through a painful thing, but that's the process that got me to where I am now, Right. So I, I think part of uh, sanctification in Christianity is learning to like embrace that pain that comes from God, like em- embrace the the discipline that comes from God, as opposed to the. It, it's better to suffer the discipline of God than the judgment of God, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Um, as we're talking about this, like about sin and, and how Christians, you're still going to sin, but like once saved, always saved, but you were, st- were still sin. And what does that mean? How, how can we still sin if we're saved? Um, this book by John Piper, Finally Alive. Um, it's a really good part where he's, he's talking about uh, freedom from the practice of sinning. It's like what this chapter is. And he's talking about the regenerate are not sinless. And he's talking about how like John in, in first John was addressing a false teaching that was saying like, um, you'll like sinless perfectionism, basically. 
and you're saying uh first john 1 8 if we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us yeah. and and john piper saying we we born again christians in other words don't let the deception of these false teachers work its way into your own self-deception there are no sinless christians the second first john 2 1 says my little children i'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin but if anyone does sin we have an advocate with the father with the father jesus christ the righteous in other words john does not assume that if you sin you are not born again he assumes that if you sin you have an advocate mm-hmm. and only those who are born again have this advocate and then first john 5 16 17 says if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death he shall ask and god will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. So in, in, in John Piper saying that he's not, uh, I, I don't think John has particular kinds of sins in view, right? Like we don't want to go the Catholic route of like venial sins and mortal right. sins and, and those mm-hmm. things. So there is a point of confirmed sinning, um, not, not different kind, particular kinds of sins in view, but rather degree, degrees of rootedness and habitual persistence. Hmm. That's that is a big, like key point. But rather, it degrees of rootedness and habitual persistence. There is a point of confirmed sinning, which may take you over the line of no return, and you will be like Esau, who sought repentance with tears and could not find it. Hebrews twelve sixteen and seventeen. He could not repent. If he could have, there would have been forgiveness. But the heart can become so hardened by sin that even its desires to repent are counterfeit. So there is that. Like you're not saved. You're not repenting. You know, and that's that's a sin that leads to death. But sinners, but but you can be regenerate and still sin. And we have an advocate for that sin. When you do sin, we have an advocate for that. Like the same God we're sinning against is advocating for us if we're truly His children and regenerate and saved, right? So I thought that's I thought that was really kind of what we're talking about as far as I'll be, I'll be right back. My, my baby screaming her head off. Okay. <laughs> there was a, there's a page I follow on Instagram called uh, Puritan quotes. And there was one I saw this week that kind of talks about that. It was saying uh, whoever hides his sin loves his sin. Mm. And that's like, wow. when I spread that, I was like, wow, that's heavy. Cause it's true. Like yeah. may, maybe outwardly you're like, Oh, I wish I was, I, you know, I'm sorry. I repent. But it, is that genuine? Like, are, are you really repentant or do you really, yeah. Are you like repenting and then you're like, but I'm going to go do this thing again because like I really like yeah. this. Have you read John Owen, Mortification of Sin? No, I have it on the thing, but I haven't read it yet. Read the, the apparently there's like a, there's the revised version, which is like this big or like the, the, <laughs> the abridged. The, yeah. The abridged version is like that big. And then the unabridged, which is like, <laughs> people get it. So people are like, you should read Mortification of Sin, you know, and they get it like, dang, that's like, <laughs> Puritan writing like that much Puritan like it's hard. I read the abridged version and it's really it's amazing. It's really really great. Um, I'm gonna do book talk on it actually. It's it's really good. But it is that like more, like be killing sin or it'll be killing you. Right. Um. Yeah. Just putting to death those things and 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 the the peace and the comfort that comes with knowing that you can put mm-hmm. to, to sin to death. And I think that's a lot of Christians struggle with is like. I'll just struggle with this my whole life. There's this, this is it. Like I can't ever, I'm just going to abide grace forever on this. Like there's no beating this, you know, there's no situation. And, you know, that's just not true. Like just, I know from personal evidence and, and evidence and others that that's just not true. Like it's, and you kind of can't, it's kind of hard to believe until it actually happens until you actually are conquering certain sins. And it's like, 
wow so this, this really does work like you know <laughs> but you can you can feel so hopeless in in certain sins and just think like this is just i'm just gonna be repenting of this forever like i hate it and i wish if i could snap my fingers and have it be gone out of my life i would but i can't and you know it's just gonna be you know and things change circumstances change people grow people change you know your mind changes your priorities change so different you know that's that's by god's grace as well um that kind of helps you conquer certain sins but yeah it's uh especially with like secret sins and just unrepentant sins and stuff it's really part part of the really the hopelessness too is like when you oftentimes when we think, Oh, I'm never going to, I'm never going to be out of this. I'm never going to defeat this is because we're trying to do it ourselves. Like sh yeah. surely through force of will, surely through self-discipline, surely through wanting to be a better person, we're trying to overcome sin, which is you know impossible. The whole point is that yes, we can have victory over sin through Christ, like through it's prayer, through, through the spirit, through Christ, through the body. Um, and the body is a big one. Like, I think that's a part that's often neglected in talking about sanctification is like the, the members of the body around you, the other people in the local church holding you to that standard or, or you know, kind of coming, coming alongside you one to encourage, but also to like, you know, kick your ass when you need it. Cause sometimes you need it from somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. And it's weird too. Like you, when you start, that's why like uh, discipleship groups are so good and, just church, yeah, church community and that body, that accountability of having that, because um, then you're either going to be like confessing to uh, your discipleship group, your discipleship partner, or whatever, and, or you're just going to be lying. Right. And you know, it's like, okay, you know, this this Friday on discipleship group, I'm going to either tell them about this or I'm going to be a liar because they're going to ask, you know, <laughs> and that's the problem. Like someone's going to ask you, and it's like, that's it. You got. It's go time now. So what, verse, actually, what verse is that? Yeah, Steven? I feel like this is what we're talking I'm about. Looking, right? looking in James five, yeah. Because the the one that I talked about with some of my buddies, we were talking about in Hebrews how it says, "As long as today is called today, encourage each other to to the uh, perfection of righteousness." Like that idea of pushing each other along and pulling each other along, and and that constant encouragement and checking and and holding each other accountable is in the modern age is kind of neglected. And I, I'm, I'm worried a little bit that it's going to be more neglected after this is over because we've seen that we can just, well, just live stream church. I don't have to actually go. Like I'm getting the same thing out of it. I live stream with my discipleship group guys every Friday morning. Yeah. Still. So <laughs> I know escaping. You got computers. So. Uh, I hate it. I'm waiting to get back with people. I can't stand the live stream church. It bothers me so um, much. Dude, there's studies it. coming out of like zoom exhaustion or something or like it's like a real thing where people are just like more zombified out and exhausted by zoom meetings than actually like when they were at work and stuff it's very weird like just like staring at a screen for yeah. everything to do because it's, it's not just, real person to person interaction like we're not sitting in the same room actually engaging we're watching a video you, you think as addicted to our phones we would be used to it by now but it's like we're not it's it's weird it's something different it's, it's different than just like being on social media for hours than like being on a zoom meeting for hours or something is there's like something different about it that like exhausts your mind more or something. Well, it almost, it feels like when I was at work doing those training videos and you just kind of have to bust them out. So you're barely there and you're watching 30 of them. Barely back back. there. Yeah. yeah. It's, it, that's what it feels like. It's, yeah, it, it does, it's it feel like I'm watching a sermon. It feels like when I watch a sermon on YouTube, as opposed to when I'm like at church listening to a sermon live. Well, and you always feel like you're give like I always feel like I'm giving a presentation, which for something like this I kind of am. So it's right. like you kind of got to be prepared and be ready, whatever. Or you're in a meeting, 
and you're not talking and you're there's 20 people and it's like well i'm just kind of not paying attention you know whatever you kind of like not not you don't feel like you have to be on right but a lot, you know but i lead a community group through zoom and it's so hard because it's like you i feel like i have to be on there's awkward long silences and it's like we're all just like staring at each other in the computer screen it's like i was talking you know it's 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 worse than in person because there's already that in person in a community group when you're leading and you ask a question and it's like no we're just kind of like so we're gonna talk like do i have to talk you know i don't envy you leading a community group that's not the most stressful thing it's so stressful like my stomach is like And it is, and and it's hard because I know I know the people that I'm leading, their hearts aren't there. They're not like, "Who's this freaking guy?" Like, "Oh my god, we shut up!" Or I'm annoyed. I know they're not, but I feel that, you know. Right. And I can't help but like feel that, like, well, then I have to talk because then I'm wasting their time. And the freaking Zoom thing, I can't upgrade to the next package. To the pro, yeah. That's so why I have this 40 minute limit. Yep. And it's like, I, and I've tried different browsers. I've tried, like, there's nothing wrong with my card, but it keeps rejecting my card. I think Zoom is just having problems. I, I finally called the customer service and they were like, yeah, we have a lot of these problems. Someone will get back to you, we put you on a list of, of help. But, and I'm like, so in a great. year, they'll get back yeah. to you. <laughs> so someone will call me, so it'll help me <laughs> to give them money. <laughs> I'm trying to pay you. I want to, I'm not complaining about something. I want to pay. I want, I want to please take my money. This whole thing is going to be weird. This whole thing's been weird for church already, but it's it's gonna. I feel like it's gonna keep being weird when it's over. Man, well, so like in Texas, they they like lifted the restriction. They well, they said church is essential. We're opening ch- churches, right? But you have to abide by all the same restrictions and in, in social distancing things as like the grocery store. It's like six feet apart, right. no more than so many people in the building at a time. It's like, that doesn't work. What are you going to, like, I'm thinking about how we're going to set up chairs because we, we rent a, another building, another church's building, basically. And so we, we show up in the morning and set up all the chairs. And so, why well, do you, we got to set them six feet apart, you know, we're <laughs> <laughs> setting all the chairs six feet apart. So it's like, so thank you for opening. We're not actually open. We can't yeah. actually. Dude, we're the same way. We no rent, we rent a room too, and we have two services already. So, or are we gonna have to split it to three so we can fit the number of people in each one before you know before we hit that limit? Yeah. Well, that's what's cool, kind of cool, because we were actually just now splitting to two, which we were looking at like, man, there's not quite, there's not a lot of people in each service. Mm-hmm. Like that's the norm. That's what people are expecting now. Is <laughs> like, it's like cool. That's what we were planning to do anyway. So, I hate, awesome. I hate this new. No- I cannot stand when people use the word new normal. New normal. It makes my blood boil. <laughs> New normal. This has been part of my sanctification this week because I get angry at everything, and my buddies are like, "Oh, it's you're, that's it sounds like bitter anger," and I'm like, "Yeah, it absolutely is. I hate everything about this." Man, like I said when we first started, I'm like ready to. I'm just like, and it, I'm done. I'm done with this whole crap. Like the more information I get, the more like frustrated I get because it's like, what are we doing? We we did the lockdown. So the hospitals could catch up with the demand of whatever. Done. We should be what, ready. What's next? You know. And then it's it's, like, it's getting crazier. Like I saw New York talk about how maybe in September they'll open up. Like September. That's insane. We just can't. Like I, there's this like delusion that we can just stay locked down and yeah. and have this massive unemployment forever, and we're all right. It's like. I mean, that's 
that's, no one would want that. <laughs> that's a that's an atheistic worldview. Like we can fix this through sheer force of will. We'll band together and we'll make everything better. Like no, you can't. You can't do that. So stop. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why. Like, remember Bo Bovidar, Bo Bovidar, that guy that was on uh, Apologia and stuff. He like used to live in communist. Oh yeah, yeah. Area or something, or yeah. and uh, he's talking about communists. That it's uh, communism at its core is atheist. Is mm -hmm. is because it's materialistic, and that not just like oh, fashion materialistic. Look how like I'm so rich. It's like matter, right? Matter in motion. All, all you know. All, the only thing that means anything is the material things. Like and that's why wealth distribution in communism is it because it's all about what you have. It's all about, it's not about what you want or desires or dreams. It's about, well, who the resources have, the, the material has to be spread out because that's all it's about is just the matter, the things, the stuff. Mm. That's what communism is about, the stuff. No one could possibly do a job for the sole satisfaction of doing it. Like this fulfills me for doing it. No, what does it produce? Can I eat it? You know, <laughs> can I wear it? Can, uh, you know, what does it do? And yeah, that's that's uh, the core of communism is atheism, hmm. and yeah, I, I thought that was interesting when he was talking about that. And it's true, like that's it's just it's just it's one hundred percent materialistic because it's all about the distribution of stuff and making sure everybody has the stuff. And it's funny because like it's like you know socialist thinking and, and like communist thinking is just as obsessed with money. They're just saying it's in the wrong hand. They're saying oh, if it's in diff different people's hands, then but it's like you're just as obsessed with it though. Like it's just you think these people should have it instead of these people, right? And like, still, still your main obsession, but. And there's this this weird, um, you know, back kind of to sanctification. There's kind of that weird with, with Christianity. Sanctification gets confused with like moralism, where it's not like. Uh -huh. It's not doing the things to, to have enjoyment in God, right? Like it's not reading the Bible so that you become closer to God and find enjoyment in him. It's not being in prayer so that you're communing with your father and finding enjoyment in him. It's like, well, is this going to make me holier? What am I going to get out of this? What's the practical steps to this, right? Like, yeah, you know, and then that's often. Well, that, 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 that was Luther's view of, of works was like they're not for God at all. They're for your neighbor. Like works is for your neighbor. Right. Um, and it's like, well, no, I mean, like faith without works is dead. And apparently like Luther hated the book of James. Yeah. I've heard <laughs> that too. That it was, was one of like, the ones that he was like, oh, should I cut this? I don't know if this yeah. is right. He was like, we can do it without James. Can't we? Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's so so funny. Yeah, we, I've talked yeah. about that with some guys too. Like, you know, sometimes we forget that the reformers were like dudes. Like they weren't these yeah. perfect, Holy guys that had it all figured. They were just we're dudes. Calvin, I'm like no problem with James. And it's like well, we're Calvinists, right? We're not Lutherans, so you're right. Like we're, we we love James. James is fine, but I can't find that chapter five. What talk about save your brother out of death? I I, I can hear it in my head, Stephen. If you like, put the reference because so we yeah, actually give us the verse in the context of like James five. I'm looking at James five right now. I'm trying to find like uh, save brother out of death. So there is that, like, you know, we we're talking about earlier how we, we kind of throw off that idea of like, we don't want to have a checklist, but there is the other side where it goes too far. And it's like, I just need the checklist. Like, tell me what I need to do to be holy, which is like the, you know, the rich guy. Tell me yeah. what I need to do to 
be saved. And it's like, well, keep the law. Well, I have. It's like, okay, well, you think you've moraled your way to salvation. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, and that's why I think something like that is good for sanctification, not not for justification, because you're right, the schedule and checklist won't save you, but having those routines in place will grow your faith. And for for when the understanding catches up with the routine, then it's there. At least it's there. At least your eyeballs are in front of the page. You know what I mean? Like if, if your eyeballs are in front of the page, you're not getting anything. There's no chance of you getting anything. But if as long as you're reading it every day, you know, it's like the door's open, you know? So do so. you think, cause I mean, discipleship is an aspect of sanctification. Would, would you say like, mm -hmm. yeah. so, so do you think there's a, a lacking in understanding of sanctification or even in the process because of a, under emphasis of discipleship maybe like i and one of the things that bugs me kind of when i started because i didn't go to church for a while and i started going again a couple of years ago and one of the things that used to drive me crazy when i was trying to find churches was like um when church finished everybody just like broke and went on their own way and it wasn't we didn't i didn't feel like there was any kind of like community sense you know what i mean yeah. like, like we're here and we're together but it's over i gotta go do my thing yeah and, yeah that, that that definitely happens and maybe that's a consequence of how we live as people. Like just in modern society, we're not really into get your little dose of people and then go, go right. Away. Exactly. Yeah. Like it's almost, it's romantic to be a shut in <laughs> like that's, it's like being a starving artist. Like everybody wants to be a starving artist until you're one. And then it's like, this sucks. Like it's Don't romantic. You have to be. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody no, wants to be a <laughs> but it's almost romantic like being antisocial is romanticized and like virtue it's a virtue yeah it's like a joke yeah it's like yeah it's like that lazy and even like having anxiety and stuff yes. is like a funny thing now it's like yeah you talk about it's like yeah it's weird yeah it's one of those meme things but um yeah just I, I think real community happens in community groups so we call them is our little like you know Tuesday night Bible study, uh, have food and, you know, go to someone's house and stuff. That's where I think real community happens because you're eating together, you're spending time together right. and you're talking face to face. You know, you're not just all listening to one guy speak and then go home. It's like you're, you're communicating, you have to participate, you know, and so people are going to get to know you that way, you know, and, um, yeah, I, I, in discipleship group too, like, so we have a community group and then our discipleship groups. So, and so it's like, you know, community groups are like, well, they were like, our, our biggest one was like 20 to 30 people. So that was just huge. That's too much. Yeah. It's like a small congregation. Yeah. That's too much that, it, that we, we've, we've expanded and multiplied those community groups, which is the goal. You want to build them up right. and then multiply. So we were doing that and then freaking Corona <laughs> happened. But um, so now we have our like micro CGs, which we split up even further down to like um, just even smaller groups but uh and then we have our discipleship groups which is like from for us it's like three guys so me and this, me and three guys have been meeting every friday for like two years huh. and like and we've been consistent and it's hard because with, with work schedules and stuff right. but we were going to gyms at like 6 a.m and i know I'm out already i know i know dude like <laughs> i know that but it's tough but it's like well look how much is your sanctification worth to you like you know what are you doing you know you, you sanctification ain't being comfortable in the in the on the covers and, and staying warm right it's it's you have that's what i talk about the discipline you know it's like i'm gonna be at gyms at six at friday you know and the holy spirit's gonna move you know if i'm not there 
I'm not saying I'm like restricting the Holy Spirit or whatever, but I think it's by grace I am. I do those things. Right. But, you know, but it's like, I'm glad that those things are happening. I'm glad God is working through our discipleship group that way because it does create that discipline of, and it gives you that time of confession, uh, encouragement, praying for each other, hearing, go, should we go through a book of the Bible or we go through a book like we went through R.C. Sproul's The Work of Christ, which mm. has like uh, a chapter, each chapter is, um, is, a, is a chapter on like, it was like the incarnation, the transfiguration, the, like all every stages of Jesus' life, basically. And um, and it had like discussion questions and stuff in it, too. It's really cool. And so we went through that. And then we like went through um, a couple other books, but we mostly stayed through books of the Bible. Like went through Romans and Job and stuff. But um, it's been great, man. Like like that. And I think that's really where, where, where growth and like sanctification does happen because it is that one on one. You're you're learning and you're growing in your faith and you're kind of like, it's, you're being like forced to participate and work again. It's that responsibility. It's like, we can't be afraid of the word work. We can't be afraid of the word responsibility. We can't be afraid of, uh, you know, do something, <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, that's, the, the variable... just, like, there's nothing you can do. You just lay back and accept. Right. And you're just like, I don't have to get out of bed. It's like, yeah, you you do have to do that, and by God's grace, you will, and and that's what happens. So it, it's the parable of the talents. Like he gave them money and expected them to do something. Like it's not just oh, and the one guy buried it, and he was the one that was unrighteous. Like you're not supposed to just sit on it and be like, I'm good, I got it, I'm keeping I, it safe. Exactly. Like no, go use it. Uh, yeah, work out we're your salvation commanded. with fear and trembling. Yeah, we're still commanded. We still have God's commands, and that's why we do it that's the whole thing about like with again too against the sovereign god doctrine of of like calvinism and stuff is like well, why do you evangelize why evangelize then why do anything why get out of bed why evangelize? because i'm commanded to first right. of all right. it would be unbiblical if i didn't do those things and so yeah we're commanded to and that's and, and, and i always hate that question well if you're a calvinist and you believe in predestination and the elect why evangelize it's like that that there's so much in that question because <laughs> in that, so what you're saying is you're not going to do it unless you have a part. Right. Right. It's like, well, if I'm not the, the, the catalyst for someone's salvation, why would I do it? It's like, because you're a tool in God's hands. Right. What are you talking about? He's, he's using you. First of all, you're commanded to, first of all. So you're just disobeying God's command, the great commission to uh, share the gospel. And, so, which is a sin. So there you go. Uh, and when you do that, first of all, you, and, and you have a desire to do that. Right. And, and like, they say, you know, and like uh, Peter says in Acts, like, uh, as far as like, we cannot help but talk about what we've seen and heard. It's not a choice. Right. Like, right. You're it down to like, well, I'm choosing to go save these people in Africa or something. It's like, no, you're not. You just, you have a heart that you can't stop from flowing the gospel out of like, let me tell you the good news. It's just a compulsive thing. And so there's, there's so much in that, that loaded question of like, well, if you, if you really predestination, why do you evangelize? It will, it's just so much there. It's like, that's a, so much uh, ego and pride in that of like, what you're saying is if you don't have, if it doesn't come from you, then why do it? That's right. such a weird thing to uh, like a view to have a position to have on that. And talking okay. about work and stuff too, like I, I think sometimes, cause we get into that and we're like, well, I don't want to work. Doesn't sound fun. 
but one of the things that I think we forget is that the work of God brings joy when we're partakers in it. Uh, and one thing about evangelism is that I think we forget that it's, it's a grace that we get to be involved in evangelism. Like God doesn't need us to preach the gospel to anybody. He can save on his own if he wanted to. He converted Paul on his own. He chose the disciples on it. Like he doesn't need us to do that, but he allows us to participate in that. And we get a blessing out of that. Like the joy that comes from that and the joy that comes from doing the routine. Yeah. And that's how he, he will share. That's how he will choose and bring, draw people to him is through the, the believers, through Christians and, and through, uh, you know, uh, they you cannot believe without hearing. How are they hear without right. a speaker? You, if 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 some person, it's like the Tarzan thing. Like, oh, how could Tarzan be saved? Is he accountable? Right? This age of accountability or whatever is like. Well, he doesn't understand. He's never had contact with any anybody. Is he still going to hell? Well, if yeah, and <laughs> if he, but if he's not, then God will send someone to him to share the gospel with him. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, that's how it's going to happen. He's not going to just like flash like, oh, there you go. You're saved and never human contact or anything. But you will hear. You you believe by hearing and you will be sent. Abby, I want to get your perspective on this because we were just talking about how, uh, you know, we've been talking about work. And one of the things with work that I think we don't talk about enough is that the work of God brings joy when we do it. So, yeah. You, you've been in a position where you were doing works as the thing that you thought you had to do. And now you're in a position where you do it out of love for God. Like it can kind of talk about what it feels like to do works because you feel like it's a burden to save yourself. Like what is how the dichotomy between where you were and where you are? Like how, how does that, you know, has changed or whatever? Yeah. I think, I think the biggest difference is when I was more tour observant, it was way more stressful. Like, am I doing things right? Am I doing things the right way? Did the Bible tell me I'm doing the works right? Am I eating the right foods? Am I observing the right days? If not doing it right, I'm not making God happy. As opposed to having the steps to walk in that God's given us to glorify him. Um, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I witnessed my friend who is also tour observant, just bawling, bawling, crying, just because she was so stressed and so anxious about wanting to make sure she performs and does things the right way to bring honor. And at the same time, I've always said, you know, to bring honor to his name, they all come with a, with a, with a true heart to want to serve. It's just that when you're trying to do works to gains, to gain God's, approval yeah is a lot different than walking in the works that god's given you to do to glorify him right and like the whole thing that jesus is his message you know come to me all ye who weary and are heavy laden and i'll give you rest my burden is easy and my yoke is light like there's a and that that doesn't mean there's nothing to do because like the thing that comes from that is love God with all that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. Like that's not easy to do, but there's a joy in doing that. And I think we talked about before how, I don't know if I'm onto anything here, but we had an idea of how it's important that the first one is love God with all that you are. And the second one is love your neighbor as yourself, because until you've loved God with all that you are, you can't love your neighbor correctly. Right. Right. Like I had, I had an atheist asking that one time, like, we were talking about, he's, he asked me, well, what sins have I done? And I was like, well, let's just do the two, like love God with all that you are and love your neighbors. You love yourself. You haven't done the two. 
that's all that's it that's all you need and so he wanted to extrapolate that out and he was like okay well, what does it mean to love your neighbor as you love yourself like just treat people how i want to be treated and like well yes but no because how do i want to be treated like in my flesh in my state i want to be honored and i want to be told that i'm correct all the time and i want to be i want to be god that's what i want in my flesh so right. until you've loved god with all that you are you can't love your neighbor rightly because you don't understand your own position in, as relative to god right right so i don't know that's just, uh, and so those two things are not easy to do but through christ through his work he makes it possible to do and that's right. where the sanctification little steps every day that the work of the spirit does to get you to that point where you love God with all that you are. You desire to love God with all that you are. You desire to love your neighbor as you love yourself. That just flows out and it brings you joy to do. It's not burdensome and heavy, you know? Right. Yeah. And uh, y'all know I'm visual. So it's kind of like, I always see like, you know, the potter and the clay. And I always see like the God's like, you know, molding, molding the clay up, conforming it, conforming it, conforming it every single day to, to conform to the image of a son to where eventually we're glorified and he's presenting, you know what I mean? Whether it's personal or whatever. So yeah. Yeah. I was just going to agree with you with that. (laughs) (laughs) Every, like every single day, it's a step to one step closer, one step closer, you know, and some days like you might take 10 steps back, but what's crazy is what's crazy is that's sometimes how you know that you're being sanctified because sometimes you'll have these feelings like I just took 10 steps back. What do I need to do? I need to get back in the word, you know, feed, 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 feed. So I don't know. I think, I think our desire, our desire for the word and our desire for God is proof of our sanctification. Right. And the sanctification is the outworking of the justification. Like it's the, the, what Paul says is, you know, Abraham was justified. Abraham trusted God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Like Abraham was justified then. But then what James says is that Abraham was justified when he offered Isaac up on the altar. Like Abraham's faith, his justification was vindicated through his work. Like his work showed that the salvation is real, you know? And that's demonstrated. Yeah. Right, exactly. It demonstrated that he wasn't—he he was justified. How do we know that? Look at the evidence. This is what he did, and it shows that he was. So that's like baptism with us, like the, 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 that 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 act in obedience to publicly declare that that you have where you put your faith and that you believe in in Jesus. That, right. that baptism. So it's not like the water saves you. Um, it's kind of so. So you have you've been regenerated, and then once you've been regenerated, you're in the process of sanctification. And if you haven't read R.C. Sproul's "Renewing Your Mind," really amazing book. That's so great. But he has a section called uh, "The Regenerating Sanctifying Spirit," and he talks about how like we're regenerated, you know, the whole Ephesians two thing, and then um, says uh, so he's going through John three. It says, Jesus elaborated, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Right. And this was really interesting. And I wish um, Ernie was watching because he believes in magic water. Um, <laughs> Jesus sets forth the necessary condition for the new birth into his kingdom is a radical experience. One must be born of water and of the spirit. I, I never like really looked at it this way until I saw it. He said, the allusion to water is open to various interpretations. Likely Jesus just means the first physical birth from the womb, right. but his point is the second birth, 
a birth in which the baby is immersed not in amniotic fluids, but the spirit. Jesus offers some clarification by adding that what is born of flesh is flesh, and what is born of spirit is spirit. Jesus rebukes Nicodemus for his, for his astonishment. He's talking about Nicod he's talking with Nicodemus. That's the context of this. When he's talking about we're saved by the water, because Nicodemus asks, "Do I have to go back into my mother's womb?" And so Jesus keeps he goes with that context of like, "No, that's not. It's by the water of your second birth, right? So we are born and born through water in our first birth in the flesh, right? When we're born, the amniotic fluid, but we we need to we need to be born again." Right. So no one is born physically into the kingdom of God. Rather, entrance the kingdom is dependent on, on the Holy Spirit. So it's the spirit and the water. And so he's like, he's like playing with Nicodemus's allusion to water there. And like, right. no, it's baptism. And that's by spirit and by the water of your second birth. And I, I never thought about that. Like, whoa, that's crazy. But when you put it in context, it makes sense. It's, it's, it's old. Uh, <laughs> the, the phrase blood is thicker than water. Like, oh, yeah. It's we have it backwards from what it originally meant. Like the water, the, the idea of blood is thicker. Yeah, the idea of blood is thicker than water. Is the idea that your your comrades in arms are sometimes closer to you than your family because the water represents your birth, but the blood represents the work you've done. Like in context, it doesn't mean what we think, anyways. So oh, this yeah. is an interesting question uh, that I think we can touch on real quick. Uh, Michael Hobbs, should sanctification in a twenty year long Christian be more evident than a younger Christian in the faith? Yeah. Right. But um, a distinction would be 20 year long Christian. Were you saved for 20 years or did you think you were saved for 20 years? Were you in church? But, you know, were you. I think you would say, yeah. Like, I think you would mean someone who truly was regenerated 20 years ago. Yeah, I think so. Should. Should. I don't think there's a need there as far as like, oh, you're not saved as much as this newborn Christian or whatever. Like, that you know, the, your sanctification, you should have been in the process of sanctification right. those twenty years, the, your whole life. We 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 ought to be in the process of sanctification our whole life, killing sin and, and becoming more like Christ and and becoming more holy, and because it's going to last our whole life and it's, we're never going to accomplish it <clears throat> until we die and we're with Christ in glory. And that's kind of a dangerous um, scale to have. Like, well, I'm more sanctified than this person. Like, ooh, I don't know if you're scaling it like that. Like, like you said, it's not a definitive like timeline that we're all on. Like, well, at this point you should be here. It's sometimes it's big yeah. leaps. And sometimes you're falling back and it's struggle and it's pain and it's, it's fighting. It's not always like, well, after 10 years, you should have hit this mark. And then another 10, you'll hit this mark. It's like, it doesn't work that way. And every single person's so different. Right. And all the, the struggles are so different. Like you yeah. said, like, you know, what, wh how are you going to define sanctification? Because we're going to look at it different ways. If you're saying, well, I know that I've been changed now because I'm not going to music festivals. Okay. That doesn't look like that for me. It's not like you can say, well, you're still going to music festivals. So I don't think you're sanctified. Oh. It, you know, it doesn't work that. What's your, oh. what's your metric to measure that? You know? Right. I don't know. That's, it's. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that truth or, or whatever is relative. It just means the people do struggle with different things it's all sin you're going to have your same level of sin it's just going to be displayed differently right and yeah. that's kind of i don't know that's a weird we get the question and like theoretically yes but it, it's weird to, we don't have really have a metric or a barometer to say how to measure your sanctification if that makes sense and i mean the the clearest evidence is the works that you do like for god are you you know are you do you have evidence i guess i wouldn't say i wouldn't ask you for a list of your evidence and at the same time there's the parable of the sower where 
the people that are on good soil produce 30, 30 fold, 60 fold and 100 fold. So if you take a person who's going to produce 30 fold as opposed to a person who's going to produce 100 fold and look at the year, you know, the timing that they're saved, the one that is producing 100 fold could have been saved way what? Later. Later, yeah, way later than the one who's going to produce thirtyfold who was saved ten years ago. Right. So it's like it could it just kind of depends on the person. I think. Right. We were talking about the talents, and it's you know the two people who made more money were both called righteous, but they didn't make the same amount of money. One made a lot less, but he still had something to show for what he was given. So right. Yeah. You know. Yes and no. I guess it's hard to say definitively yeah. yes or no. Yeah. Right. I kind of wanted to get to this part too. Just like I know we're kind of going along here, but I, I wanted to make sure I read this part of um, RC. Roman Catholic. There he is. There he is. Look, at him. Look at him. What's wrong with you people? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so in this, he's talking about sanctification in, in, the, in the section, talking about sanctification said in the, in the quest for a holy life, two extremes often become obstacles to sanctification, quietism and activism. Have you ever heard of this? No, I haven't heard of this until I read, until I read this book. It says, uh, extreme quietism sees the work of sanctification as totally the work of the Holy Spirit. A person offers no effort or exertion, but mm -hmm. quietly waits for the Holy Spirit to change things. This reflects a woeful lack of understanding of the Christian's responsibility to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in sanctification. So we don't. We're, so that that doesn't that doesn't deny monergism of cooperation. Help us having no cooperation in our justification. But we, he suggests that we do have cooperation in our sanctification. It also neglects the many admonitions of Christ and the apostles to exercise diligence and self-discipline in seeking holiness. Activism, so as we talk, quietism is an act, quietism and activism. Activism is the polar opposite of quietism. In this syndrome, a person frantically seeks self-sanctification, constantly endeavoring to live a perfect life through work without mm -hmm. any dependence on the spirit. This particular method of sanctification is doomed to failure. So the Christian must be actively quiet or quietly active in seeking all that is available from the Holy Spirit in giving all to the goal of sanctification. No final experience in this life ends the struggle. A person can speak in tongues 10,000 times and still not be free from the influence of sin. A person may hear heavenly voices, see ecstatic visions, and have heartwarming experiences at a thousand altars, but the quest for holiness goes on. There is no easy solutions and no substitutes that can allow a person the luxury of eliminating the daily disciplines of prayer, study of scripture, worship, fellowship, and service. None of us have gone beyond scratching the surface of holiness and knowing the ineffable sweetness of communicating with God, the Holy Spirit. And it's right on. That's what we were talking the two extremes. Like one of them is we don't do anything. And one of them is we have to work so hard to do everything. Yeah. In sanctification, it seems like there can be a synergistic cooperation of this because guess what? Our spirit's alive and now we can. The reason we're monergists is because our spirit was dead. We can't, your synergism says, in justification says your dead spirit can do something along with God's uh, efforts. No, that's not the case. But once we've been regenerated, once the lights turned on, once our spirit is alive, guess what? Your spirit can do things now. And so now you have a responsibility and the ability to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in your sanctification and pursuit of holiness your whole life. We have the ability to respond. 
Right. Yeah. That's hard for Calvinists to understand because it's like, we can't do anything. We're totally depraved. We're sin, <laughs> you know, whatever. It's like, well, yeah, that's your unregenerate state. But your regenerate state is you know the Bible, you know that you've been made alive, and you have the ability now to do something. So you need to be. <laughs> that's such a hard conversation to have with people because it's you can't say there's no such thing as choice at all because over and over again we see Joshua when he's talking to the people, choose ye this day who you will serve. Like the, yeah. He wasn't being facetious when he said choose. He meant it when he said it. Yes, sir. Right. Our understanding is what makes you able to choose yeah. to serve the Lord. That's where the difference is. Like, yeah, yeah, it's the whosoever believes in Him will have eternal life. Correct, agree, percent. Yes. How do you believe? That's where we're. That's the trail off. That's the well. We just believe. No, your spirit's dead. You can't believe. It has to be regenerated first. And it even says that if you keep reading John three, you know those who were committed evil acts hated the light and right. loved the darkness. That's right. true. We talk about our unregenerate state. In Ephesians 2, he talks about how uh, we're, we're dead in our sins and trespasses until we're made alive in Christ. But we don't – we we Americans don't see that necessarily. Like we're not dead. We're not that bad. We're we're all right. Yeah, it's that sickness and just kind of, oh, you know, yeah. I need, you know, I need a little help. But yeah. the, more, the more we diminish our – state of deadness in a spirit, the more we diminish the life Christ brings, mm. right? It has to be an exact contrast, right? How, how dead we are is how much life Christ brings. If we're saying, well, we're not really that we're not really dead. Okay. Well then what is the life Christ is bringing? Well, just kind of, it, it's sort of life, you know? Right. No, it's Someone, uh, I forget who made, who made the point, but somebody said that both Calvinists and Arminians both believe in limited atonement. We believe in, Limited to the elect, Arminians just believe in limited in its effectiveness. Well, like, who, it's also who limits it, because right. we believe God limits right. atonement. They believe you limit you atonement. Limit, right. So it, it, we both believe limit atonement. It's just who has the power, who has the sovereignty. That's a weird discussion have too. When when you get to that point and you're telling them like, so God's will is subservient to the will of man because he can't do anything unless man is willing. Right. It's not that they'll say no. It's that they'll say that he limited himself to do that. Which is so weird. It, it's so weird to say that. Or just, that's, that's what becomes an anthropology issue because right. then it's like, well, what is man? Well, we're pretty smart. No. Right. <laughs> that, that's not a biblical anthropology of man. That, that's the thing. It's like you do not you have a you have a philosophical, classical Greek understanding of man. You don't have a biblical understanding of man. Mm. Right. And yeah, you have a renaissance understanding of man mm -hmm. you have a worldly understanding of man you don't have a biblical understanding of man because you look at man in the bible you got nothing <laughs> <laughs> without christ um, well i think right. we hit yeah everything. yeah i feel like we i feel like we got a lot i feel i hope this was helpful to anybody who didn't understand the distinction um i feel like we laid it out clear if you have any more questions you know keep commenting them feel free to direct message us maybe we'll address them next time we get on uh, we love interaction, so please don't feel hesitant to comment or even message us later. Like that's not a problem. We'll we'll look into it. We'll get back to you. We'll try to interact in some way. So, you know, if this is helpful at all, let us know. We we like doing it, but we don't want to be talking to the air. So, do we know what our next thing will be? Or uh, I'm going to talk to him today and see for sure. Um, either way, I think it'll be the same subject, but we'll see. Uh, the 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 subject that came up that I think would be interesting to talk about next week would be. In essence, the hypostatic union. Um, oh yeah, 
crisis man a random friend who yeah. <laughs> never again yeah uh, yeah who never showed up again <laughs> so yeah, yeah. kevin kevin's the one who on facebook yeah but no we had our troll last week with the uh i remember his name our youtube oh, friend yeah yeah so yeah we'll see what happens with that next week but uh yeah thanks everybody for talking with us for hanging out for watching uh it'll be up on spotify and itunes tomorrow morning so if you didn't get a chance to watch it you can catch it there it'll be up on youtube as soon as this is over uh hopefully we'll see you guys next week so thank you and bye, bye. Right. see you